something that uh, I have discovered in the Dice Singers just in the last uh, probably year is the whole thing of putting tarps down on your garden, okay? I've discovered it before, but it's kind of something we, there's a new book out um, that has it in it, and the Dysingers got a tarp from the same source that this Gene Martin Fortier recommends. It's actually a Canadian source, that's why I never got it. And uh, they have it out here by the trailer, okay, the tarp, so you can go look at it, feel it, and then I see if you can get one locally, maybe. But it's a UV-treated tarp, you know, UV-resistant tarp. And you put it down. I wish I would have mentioned it while the... Oh, Paul, maybe you can tell me. How, has, it, has it worked for you guys pretty well? Yeah, the main thing is that it has to be down for at least a few weeks to a month, you know, to get the... And it's, it's best. I mean, you... The idea is that you can put it down even if you have grass on there mm -hmm. and the grass will die, you know, so you don't have to clear everything off. And um, the guy who does it, the, you mentioned the French yeah, guy who's yeah, doing it. Yeah, he, he actually says that he has a lot of earthworm activity and they come up and pull the organic matter into the soil and um, take care of it. We haven't had as much in our experience of that. Um, it might be something that builds up over time. So I just that is found though before that before you plant two, two weeks to a month before planting is that what you meant? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he uses it at say least where you could you, you can even leave it on longer than that. Now. He okay. uses it where he's done with uh, some beds in one part of his garden, and whenever he's done with beds and he's not ready to plant something right away, he just put tarps over it because a lot of the weed seeds and all you produce is just because you. You know, that part just goes to weeds while you're getting around to doing something with it. So that is kind of neat. But I put it over, oh, here's a place where I want to plant some raspberries. And it's just all in jungle of all kinds of weeds and iron weed that grow up this tall and are really hard to kill because they're perennials. And so I just whacked it down with a weed eater and put this tarp over it for the better part of the season and came to plant it, man, it's just all, just a bunch of organic trash, but it's all dead. You know, it's like you sprayed it with Paraquat or something. And so it's a very good place to plant then the perennials without having to worry about all those perennial weeds, thing. something like raspberries or blueberries or something like that. You don't have all this, uh, like in the south, Bermuda grass and crab grass and all stuff is growing in there. So it's just something to, uh, Try working with white and the black side. So you put the white side underneath and the sunshine yeah. on the black. Can you put the white side up or the, or the black side up, Paul? We have tried. We've tried both, putting the white side up and the black side up. And I'm trying to remember. It does make a difference, and my mind is just blank. Yes, there was one that the soil was a lot hotter underneath um, with it, and we, we found that yeah, the other thing that we the other thing that we found is that it needs to be like as close down to the ground as possible. So pull it tight, and even if you need to put like rocks in the middle of it to kind of push, and if you're doing it on any type of grass or something like that to get it as close down to the ground as possible. And get your, the ground is level without dips. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, good. <clears throat> well, we just had a short prayer before we talk about um, pest control. Thank you, Lord, that we um, can work in cooperation with you. And we pray, especially in this area, Lord, that we'll understand what is our part in dealing with pests and diseases and what is your part. And we thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we can talk um, a lot about, uh, you know, how God has promised to protect us from the pests and the diseases. Um, we know in, um, you know, the whole thing of natural remedies and human health, we have some real counsel about not only praying that God will uh, heal us, but also doing our part, okay? This talk I'm going to give on dealing with the pests and disease in the garden is all about our part, okay? And um, so you guys can study into the other part, which is a really important part to pray and say, okay, God, we're in partnership, and this is your garden, and so I'm trusting that you'll protect it, and if you want it to be emulsed by the hail or by the uh, insects, then, then we're in this together, and, uh, and we're not going to break faith even if uh, it turns out different than we expected. Okay. Um, on the inside of this handout, I just flip inside the first page there, is our outline for what we're going to talk about, basic steps in pest control. And um, in the book Ministry of Healing, uh, let's see, I'm going to learn how to do this. It talks about natural remedies. Uh, it's on page, what is it? On page uh, natural remedies. It's uh, in Ministry of Healing that gives the natural remedies. I think it's uh, 128 or something like that. But just before it lists those natural remedies, it gives the principles to guide you in implementing the natural remedies. And that is cause and effect. Treat the cause, not just the symptoms. It says the cause should be ascertained. Okay? And, and you deal with that. Whatever is caused, you change your lifestyle. Okay? And the second principle is prevention is better than cure. So if you figure out the cause many times, you can figure out how to prevent it. And the problem you see many times in natural remedies is we are so in the symptomatic treatment mindset that we still use the natural remedies in a drug mentality, okay? There was this ad on the radio back when I was younger that said, eat too well, take Digel. Okay, so you just eat whatever you want to, and then if you have a problem from all that, you just take this antacid or whatever to take care of it, so you treat the symptom. Now we discover, well, charcoal, okay, it's a natural thing. So now it's eat too well, take charcoal, oh great, wow, this is great, see, but you're still doing it in the, in the drug mentality. And so we want to do our natural remedies in the natural remedy mentality, okay? And uh, look for the cause and deal with that and prevent it rather than just, oh yeah, what do we do for this bug? Oh yeah, you spray this on, see? Well, you've really admitted failure in this uh, mode when you have to go to spraying something on. So you're not dealing with the cause, you're just uh, treating the symptoms. 
So that's what we want to try to do. And here you see that principle in Proverbs 26, verse 2, as the bird by wandering is a, and as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. So whenever there's a problem, a curse in your garden, that's when something's eating up your garden, that's definitely a curse, isn't it, to say? And so um, there's always a cause. It may take a real study to find out the cause. In life in general, you know, the cause and effect relationships, the strands of the cause of the problem many times are very complex. Say. And that's why it says, as a bird by wandering and a swallow by flying. You know, you just see those birds out there, those swallows, they're just all over the place. It just seems like no rhyme or reason. But you study into it, there's a definite migration pattern and so on and so forth. So there is a, a way to figure this out, and we need to pray that God will give us eyes to see and to understand the, um, the whole thing of reasoning from cause to effect and um, trying to uh, deal with the cause. Okay, this is our basic uh, game plan for pest control. First of all, is soil plant health. And as we talked about yesterday, that is uh, really two basic components. One is the organic matter, which is the food for the microorganism, makes really a, a living soil. And the other component is balanced fertility or nutrients in the soil. So you need to have both of those to have a healthy um, soil. And that will make your plants uh, more resistant to the disease and insect uh, pests. Healthy plants. I really saw this in Alabama where I was working there. And I was running the farm. My dad was running the Lifestyle Center garden. He really built it up with rock powders, green manures, compost, and so forth. And I have six acres out on the farm. Some areas not quite as, as built up. Okay? and uh, very sandy soil. And he was going to plant some green beans, and I just happened to be planted to plant green beans that same day. I had it in my two-row John Deere corn planter there on my tractor. I said, oh, Dad, just let me plant those green beans in the garden for you. So I went in there, zip, 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 back and forth through his 50-foot rows in his garden and, and planted six rows of green beans for him. Then went over the same hour and planted green beans in my farm. Well, his soil was a lot more built up, and his blue light green beans, they just bushed out so much that the three-foot rows, it bushed out so much that you could barely stick your toe in there and find a place to walk to pick the beans. And he did have some bean beetles on the plants, but they really weren't causing the problem. Whereas my beans, they just kind of grew bushes, you know, like this, okay? And the bean beetles just ate them up. And um, let's see if we've got a picture. Yeah, here are the bean beetles. And the adults, you know, they eat just a little bit. But when those yellow larvae come out, they can just make the leaves into sieves, okay? And I was spraying mine with botanical insecticide, but still, they were just really crippled by the beans. And the difference was, it was the same soil type, sandy soil, same soil, but it was just how much it had been um, you know, really built up organic matter and um, and nutrients. So that's really your really your game plan there. And um, 
Sometimes, though, it can be the imbalance of nutrients. Uh, usually, you think of too much nitrogen can cause an aphid problem. Plants that are just, they're kind of like weak, um, over-succulent plants. They seem to attract aphids. Here's the aphids blown up, of course, pretty big in the picture there. Also, plants that are kind of anemic, not enough nitrogen, they also seem to attract aphids. So again, it's a you know plant health type of thing because of imbalance. And Elliot Coleman, um, when I read his book, New Organic Grower, it was such a great book, I knew I had to go visit him. And really, you know, you want to walk, when you hear about something that sounds wonderful, you actually go look and find out whether it's really that great or not. So at the time, he was in Vermont, there at the mountain school, and I walked through his garden with him. And he was telling me different stories. One was where he had uh, grown side by side two different beds, okay? And, it, and he planted, I think it was zucchini, some kind of summer squash in both beds. On one bed, he fertilized it with fresh chicken manure. On the other bed, he fertilized it with uh, composted horse manure and seaweed. It, it had been, he was right there on the main coast, and uh, well, I guess, no, not in Vermont. He was. I think he had done this when he was up on his farm in, in Maine. Um, and he was just telling me about it when I was at, in Vermont there with him. Uh, he had a lot of seaweed there on the main coast, and so he had composted the seaweed with horse manure. So very, you know, uh, broken down and good humus. And also, seaweed has a growth hormone in it, natural growth hormone, called cytokinin, and that um, helps the uh, proteins and so forth in the plant to be um, built like they should and, and helps with the uh, insect and disease problems. So anyway, on the one bed where he had composted uh, horse manure and seaweed, he didn't have any cucumber beetles. Where he put on the fresh chicken manure, it uh, he had basically created the cucumber beetle uh, problem. So there it was too pushy with nitrogen, you might say. Um, so again, the, the whole nutrition and uh, humus um, soil health thing was, uh, you can't always, you know, uh, put your finger on it just like that, but I found that those kind of things really do make, do make a difference. Okay, our next thing is uh, management practices. Not always with uh, soil. We have a whole environment and how we manage our crops. And one of those things is rotation, okay? And this really deals more with maybe disease problems than it does with insect problems. Uh, probably the biggest insect problem that rotation would help you with is nematodes. That's a microscopic uh, um, worm, you might say, in the soil that bores into the roots and can really disrupt the, the flow of uh, sap in the roots and just make your plants wilt or, or not do so well. And, and rotation can really help to break up their life cycle because they, they sort of stick with plant families. And so if you're planting different plant families year to year, then you will put those uh, nematodes out of business or at least knock their numbers way down. Uh, yes, I do. I don't have that right here in this, but uh, 
in my handbook I have it here. You can come afterwards and I'll be glad to show you. But the, the three plant families that you want to be most careful with rotating, the others, I don't know, they don't have as much disease problems. The ones you want to be really the most careful with rotating and not planting them more than every once every three years is the cabbage family. Okay, that'd be cabbage, broccoli, you know, so on and so forth. The nightshade family, tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, so on and so forth. And the uh, cucurbits, or the, the uh, squash and melon family. Those seem to be the most disease-prone uh, crops. And so if you're really careful with those, you can be more sloppy with your lettuce and, and parsley and things like that. So. So rotation can really just, you know, most of the time, I found in Alabama, that's where, you know, the, wheat, the disease problems are just really intense in the south, the deeper south you go, the worse it gets. And I found if I read the extension bulletins, and you read the first half, all the management practices, which included rotation, if you did those real carefully, you wouldn't have to do the last half, which was all the fungicides and pesticides, usually fungicides with the diseases and so forth. You really wouldn't have to do that. You might have a little disease problem, but it wouldn't be up to that, you know, threshold where you say it's worth it to, or it's really causing you problems. So if you do your build the organic matter of the soil, don't plant too early or water at the wrong time of the day, do good rotation. Also, sanitation, if you have some diseased plants, like with uh, southern blight, you know, makes all those fruiting bodies at the base of the plant. Well, get that plant out and, you know, throw it in a dumpster or something. Most of the time, we don't want to do that. We want to keep all our organic matter and so forth. Of course, with the rotation, you know, at the end of the season, you till that all. Even the diseased plants, you just till them in, and you're not going to plant that plant family again for another three years. So it's all going to be broken down by then and so forth. But sanitation also applies to in the fall. You want to clean up your garden. Don't just leave your tomato plants out there hanging on the tomato cages and so forth. Uh, you want to get your garden cleaned up, all the organic material either tilled in or put in the compost pile so that it's not sitting out there next spring to you know start creating spores that are going to infect, you know, whole bunch of spores landing on your next year's crop. So just some of those sanitation type of things can really help with the disease disease problems. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, uh, I appreciate some of those things of, of not tilling, but uh, just in a practical standpoint, it's better to just do as little tilling as possible. But if you're careful not to compact your soil, you have permanent beds, you can do a lot, and you have a lot of organic matter in your soil. You can uh, essentially do it a no-till if you know if it if it will work for you as far as getting your crop planted and seeded and so forth. Okay, we're gonna have to move on here, so um, I'll just uh, go here for a ways, and then I'll ask for some questions. Okay, and then uh, the one that I really like is encouraging the beneficial insects, okay? Some people buy insects, they're expensive, and they have a mind of their own, so they tend to just fly off. That's my experience. I've released ladybugs, and you know, a week later, there's no more ladybugs there than there ever was. 
So, but if you encourage the beneficials, it's just like the microbes, if you encourage them, they'll give them the food that they need, they'll explode in population. Same thing with the beneficials, you encourage the beneficials, and the way you do that is to give them food and shelter, okay? And these beneficials like ladybugs, hoverflies, uh, ignimin wasps, and so forth. And uh, the food for them is uh, nectar, pollen, so forth, from embellifer type um, flowers and composite flowers. Embellifers are like herbs, uh, dill, caraway, uh, fennel, parsley, and so forth. They make these umble shaped Queen Anne's lace like umble shaped uh, flower heads with a whole bunch of little flowers, and those little hoverflies and insects just love those. And then composite flowers like camelendulas and uh, marigolds. And um, in Johnny's selected seeds, they have this kind of a good bug blend. Also, I think it's in Peace Valley Farm Supply, they have one that's called Border Patrol. Okay, you plant all these herbs and flowers around the border, and then the insects patrol your garden, okay? And uh, one that we found is really great is that we plant um, dwarf Siberian kale in a bed in our garden in the uh, middle of the summer, and then we let it, or late summer, and we let it grow and, and, and we harvest it in the fall, and then we cover it with plastic over the winter, put some hoops over it, but you don't have to, you just cover it with plastic, and it survives the winter, and then you've got greens basically all winter, and in the spring then it really starts growing such tender greens until it goes to seed. And we just let it go to seed and the, you get all these beneficial insects that just come and it just jump starts the beneficial insects for the season. Because if you plant dill, it, you know, it takes a while for the dill to grow and get to the place that's going to blossom. But if you have something from the year before, perennial or biennial, that's growing, maybe parsnips, you know, they overwinter. Of course, you want the roots, so you don't want to leave them there to blossom. But um, uh, parsley, if it survived the winter, those kind of things. But that we just found that kale really jumpstarts the beneficial populations. And at some point, you have to mow it down, but it's good to leave some of it there to, to, so they just don't all of a sudden have nothing to give them food and, and shelter. And uh, we were actually, I was over in England and visiting with this uh, organic uh, market gardener, and she said that she had a real problem with aphids on her cabbage. And she's spraying them with a botanical insecticide, but she had uh, what's called a rebound effect. You spray on this botanical poison, it kills all the bad guys and all the good guys. The bad guys recover faster than the good guys, and then the good guys aren't there to help control them, and so you have a worse problem than ever. And, and so um, she decides she's going to study to find something else, and she figured out that the hoverflies were really the beneficial that she needed to control her aphids. So she planted, I think I have a, yeah, it's a picture of a hoverfly right here. They're usually little, just the size of a small housefly or even smaller, some are the size of a hornet, okay? And uh, it's actually their larvae that uh, control the aphids. That's that grubby thing there, the eating and, and aphids. 
So what she did though, she when she was planting her cabbage, she put some herbs and flower uh, plants on the planter, tractor drawn planter, and told her workers to plant uh, an herb or a flower. Just anyway, it ended up so it was every 12 to 15 feet each direction in the field, and that encouraged the hoverflies, and then they uh, dealt with the aphids. So um, that's that sort of trying to understand the cause, right, and deal with the cause instead of just spray a botanical on there or something like that. Okay, and here's the Newman wasp. That's another one. We were in Colorado. We uh, grew tomatoes in the greenhouse, and one year we had a real problem with aphids on our tomatoes. We'd grown hot pepper plants, and they just got on the hot pepper plants, the aphids. And then we took those out, and we actually were growing them for somebody else. We took those out. The aphids moved over onto the tomatoes. The tomatoes were maybe knee high or waist high, and they were just crippling. The aphids were just crippling the tomatoes. And so we um, had the entomologist from CSU come over, and he was looking at. He was really into Whitney Crenshaw. He's really into um, you know natural pest control. It was really great. And so he started looking at, we were planning to spray insecticidal soap because that will kill the aphids temporarily at least. He said, oh, don't, don't even spray that because that will disrupt the beneficials. You've got enough beneficials here. They're going to they're gonna control these aphids. Just hold on. That's one thing you learn is you don't become too reactive. See? You try to work with nature and sometimes it's hard to hang on. But he started showing this. He said, you've got these ignumined wasps that are stinging aphids and, and laying the egg right inside the aphid. Okay, you can see the actually the female has a long uh, stinger-like tail. And sure enough, we saw they were actually fighting over the aphids. There were so many Newman wasps, they were fighting over aphids to sting into. And um, then they, that hatches out of the aphid and goes on to sting the next aphid. And the aphid is left there like a little Chinese lantern, little <laughs> shell there. You can, that way, even if you don't see those, you can tell you've got the good guys working for you. Also, the hoverflies were in there. He was showing us, suddenly we saw all these little hoverflies. And we saw it's like Elisha showing his servant, you know. Hey, you've got more for you than against you, see. And we already knew we had a lot of ladybugs in there. They were ladybug larvae and everything, which I think we've got a picture of those here. Yeah, there's the ladybug larva. It looks like a little gila monster. And sure enough, in a couple weeks, the beneficials just cleaned up those aphids, and we went on to have a beautiful crop of tomatoes. Wow, praise the Lord. So these guys will work for you. Another experience is we had uh, potatoes, and I'd gotten this idea of spraying all kinds of seaweed and this and that and the other on the potatoes to make them have a real, be really healthy and high, have a high bricks level so the potato beetles wouldn't uh, be a problem. But the potato beetles were still coming on there in the spring. And we had a, actually a, a, a BT insecticide, a bacterial insecticide in the, in the shed, potato beetle beater, that we could spray on. But I wanted to do it with plant health, you see. That's, the cause, I thought. And so we were spraying them, but still the adult beetles, let's see if we've got an adult, uh, no, we don't have it. Later on I'll show you an adult uh, beetle here, but 
uh, Colorado potato beetle. The adults came on, they're not a problem, they just eat a little bit. But then they started laying eggs, oh, just feeling so sick. I didn't want to spray that. I wanted to fix this with making the plants so healthy. But anyway, um, we started seeing, though, that something was just eating those eggs right off. Half of the patch of eggs, yellow, yellow eggs, would just be eaten off, and then just gone. And we couldn't figure out, but there's so many things happened by that in a market garden in the season. And anyway, we never had a problem with the larvae. Those are the ones that just eat up your plant. They never, just a few larvae here and there. And finally in January, we got around to going over and visiting Whitney Crenshaw and talking to him about the whole thing. He took us in this room, about half the size of this room, just had all these shelves, he, uh, drawers, he's pulling out and showing us this beneficial and that beneficial that were probably the ones that ate up those potato beetle eggs, okay? And it came down to it, this ground beetle was the one that seemed to be the good guy that, that bailed us out, okay? And if you have a lot of trash in your soil, on the surface of your soil, the ground beetles like to hide under that, and they come out at night. That's why we could never figure out what it was that was helping us, okay? Wow, the lowly ground, they're very humble, they, they don't want you to see them, and uh, so that's great. Ground beetles. So if you have a little bit of you know more trashy soil, that goes along with what you hear in just the normal lore that if you mulch your potatoes, it will help with potato beetles. And so that may be the may be the reason. Okay, then this is a real easy one. You just kick your feet up by the fire in December or January, and you read the Johnny's uh, catalog. And you look through there for the resistant varieties. And Johnny's has a whole box there on the tomato pages that will give you all the different resistance codes. VFN and um, anyway, there's a whole bunch there which we won't take time to, to read. Resistant varieties, so whatever problems you think you're going to have, in Alabama, I would not plant a tomato variety that was not VFN. That's V is for verticillium, F is for fusarium wilt, and N is for nematodes. But there's many other resistance. Uh, doesn't mean you'll never get the problem, but it's much more resistant to the problem. And the CMV is cucumber mosaic virus powdery mildew resistant peas and squash, anthracnose and powdery mildew resistant melons. That's just a few uh, examples of the different uh, resistance that you can have. So that is really an easy one, uh, easy one to do. Oh, here's the, here's the box here. I forgot I had it in here. And just uh, some of the different ones. Um, that uh, there are there, tobacco mosaic, and uh, late blight, so on and so forth. Okay, then biological control. These are things you spray on in general that, um, that will uh, give the bad guys some kind of a disease and they'll die. The most common one is BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, and the trade name Dipel, 
and you just spray that on your cabbage worms and so forth. Um, then um, down at the bottom here is spinazad, and it is uh, works well for potato beetles and uh, thrips and, and so forth. So that's a whole area to, uh, to study out. Johnny's catalog has some of these uh, various products. Very effective, uh, more effective than the chemical insecticides in many, many cases. Then physical, row, uh, physical control, like row covers with cucumber beetles. It works well, just put a row cover over your cucumbers for the first, or melons, for until they're ready to bloom, then you need to let the, the bees go in and, and pollinate. Um, also, the uh, orchard uh, growers many times use uh, kale and clay to spray on their fruit trees and fruit to uh, take care of coddling moth and so forth. Then botanical insecticides, when you have to spray a botanical, basically poison, there, you are really admitting defeat. Okay, don't feel like you're a good organic grower when you when you spray botanical insecticide, even though it may be better than a chemical insecticide. I wouldn't recommend uh, rotenone anymore because it is it's quite poisonous. And and um, pyrethrin would be my my choice. There's some good pyrethrin products and. Um, Okay, now we're going to just go through uh, some of the specific insects. Okay, we already mentioned aphids, and here you see a hoverfly larva right there. He just blends in because he's actually you can see the guts of the of the larva. Uh, he's kind of a translucent little guy, and he just eats the aphids. I mean, just he can just eat them up. Okay, and here's a lacewing. Uh, beneficial, and again, it's the larva of the lacewing. Yeah, there's the larva of the lacewing that eats the aphids. And here's the ladybug and the ladybug larva. Uh, then I think next on our list is ants. And uh, well, we might mention here um, that uh, for aphids, you can also use. Um, uh, safer's insecticidal soap, okay? And in Europe, they use stinging nettle tea. Um, so those are some of the things you can use for those uh, problems. I found for ants, sometimes in Alabama, the ants will want to chew on the stems of the uh, plants. We just put a little bit of powdered activated charcoal right around the stem, right on the soil, right around the stem. And the ants did not want to get on that charcoal, okay? And so that was a lot better than spraying some granular diaz or sprinkling some granular diazinon, you know, around the uh, chemical insecticide. Of course, in the, gar in, the, in the house, many times we use uh, dried orange peels that have been blended up. Army worms, uh, BT works very well for that, that Bacillus thuringiensis, you just mix it up and spray it on. It gives the, the cabbage worms and army worms a stomach ache and mess up their digestive system. And they quit eating for a few days and uh, for a little bit too long. So it's very effective. Uh, yeah, here's the 
Mexican bean beetles, and you can spray them with the botanical insecticide, um, something like uh, pyrethrum or neem. Actually, it works as a repellent and uh, slows down their life cycle. There is a um, there is a beneficial insect, which you see uh, right here, is the result of is this mummified uh, Mexico bean Mexican bean beetle larva, but it's quite expensive to get and and to manage on a garden garden scale. It's more of a farm. Might work on a market garden. We tried it one year and it didn't really you know. Uh, catch up with the bad guys, or maybe we didn't time it just right, and anyway, it was just a little bit too much trouble. Here's the cabbage worms, imported cabbage worm, and the cabbage looper, both of them uh, very effectively uh, controlled by uh, BT. Uh, one thing I might mention here with uh, the Mexican bean beetles is that uh, we went to Bob Gregory's seminar and he found that yellow-eyed beans are very attractive to the Mexican bean beetles. And he uses them as a trap crop. He just plants a Mexican-eyed bean every so often down the row and the Mexican bean beetles eat on those beans and leave his blue lake beans or whatever. Um, feed on them a lot less. So that's uh, something to experiment. He's actually gotten the University of West Virginia, um, WVU, West Virginia's uh, extension, to uh, do uh, get a whole grant to experiment with several different trap crop type of things. Okay, and then here's cabbage maggots. Uh, probably crop rotation is the best thing to do for that. And then here's the corn earworm. And um, uh, I haven't found a, a good um, way to deal with the cause on uh, corn earworms, but a very effective symptomatic treatment is just a few drops of mineral oil in the silk. Just as the silk is losing its really green color, you put these drops of mineral oil on and it will, um, it's just kind of like a barrier because the moth comes and lays its egg right on the silk, then the little worm hatches out and he eats his way down through the silk onto the ear. But if he hits that mineral oil, it, it, he's, he's history. So it's, it's very easy to do. just get a little mineral oil and, and kids like to do it and uh, um, just put a few drops. You put it in a, you know, some kind of a dropper bottle, like a detergent bottle or shampoo bottle or something. Just put a few drops on, maybe an eighth of a teaspoon on each silk. And um, I try not to do it too soon because you may inter interfere with pollination. But I put oil on very green silks. I've never seen that it caused a, a problem with pollination. Okay, here's the cucumber beetles. Uh, we already talked about them some with, uh, with the row covers and so forth. Uh, here's a cutworm. This is a very good example of uh, maybe dealing with the cause. Um, when I was 10 years old at Wildwood, um, took a gardening class with Mrs. McClure, and she really was a great teacher. 
And she had all kinds of different ways of dealing with cutworms. She put collars around, little cardboard collars around the plants to keep the cutworm from cutting them. Or she put a nail right beside the plant. I don't want all those nails in my garden. You know, the, the idea is that you know when the cutworm wraps around to cut the plant, it'll hit that nail and it's hard on his his teeth or whatever. But um, I'm always looking for something that, you know, just kind of takes care of the problems. Yeah, I'm a, sort of a farmer gardener type idea. And so I'm always looking for something that would just kind of take care. I don't want to have to spray. I don't have time to spray even. And I mean, I will do it if I can't find any other way. So I was reading this one book uh, called, I think it's Acres USA Primer. It's really a farmer's book, but it has a lot of things about cationic change capacity and how to cooperate with nature and, and so forth. And in there it said that cutworms, if your soil has the right pH balance, the right calcium, and magnesium balance and basically plenty of calcium in the soil, the cutworms will not be able to function. And I really found that. If you uh, have a problem with cutworms, if you take some high calcium lime and you just throw it down the row so it kind of makes the surface of the soil white, okay? You don't have to put a lot on there, but just kind of puff it, you know? Of course, you don't want to put a whole lot because you just, you know, then you've got a strip here that has a whole bunch more calcium, but just enough that it changes the environment there. It will really help. It won't totally eliminate them, but it really make a lot of difference. On the other hand, I noticed that Uchi Pines, a lot of people, again, I was telling you, they're in this organic program. They would plant their cabbage plants, which they bought from me, uh, from my greenhouse, they would plant their cabbage plants and they would mulch them right away with oak leaves and pine needles and wood shavings and wood chips, all of which are very acid. And then they would come back a few days later and say, oh, Steve, we need to buy some more plants. The cutworms just ate up half our plants. And, well, I was glad to sell them some more plants. <laughs> but I figured it out. See, this is making a low calcium or low pH situation on the other end of the spectrum. So there you're sort of understanding what the whole thing is and, and doing something about it. Okay, this European corn borer, maybe we'll just skip over this one. Uh, flea beetles, um, one thing you can do with them is just kind of delay your plantings a little bit because they have a first uh, life cycle in the spring and then a lot less problems for the rest of the year. So if you plant your eggplant really early, it'll just make sieves out of the leaves. If you delay a little bit, you have much less of a problem. You can also use floating row covers, but you need to do it right when you plant. You put the floating row cover over to you know keep the flea beetles out and um, that will help uh, you know just buffer the Buffer the problem. How do you keep them away from your grapes? We had a problem when we lived in Michigan keeping them away from our grapes. Flea beetles or Japanese beetles? Flea beetles. Oh boy. They no. were on our grapes because we had them vined up. We had the, the, um, the red and the green grapes and they just came up, the Welsh grapes. Huh. And they just 
Steve, do you yes. mind just repeating it really quickly for those uh, online? Maybe? Okay. The question was uh, what to do, what you would do for flea beetles on grapes. Okay. And in that case, unless you had a real big, you know, 10 foot wide floating row cover, <laughs> this, then all I would know is be, you know, uh, maybe try some uh, botanical insecticide or, or something like that. You could try maybe spinazad because that's something that, you know, people are experimenting with different, this is kind of a new thing. So you could try try that, but I, I wouldn't have a good a good answer. Yeah. What's that? Uh, yeah, maybe uh, uh, balancing the soil, that might help. Put on plenty of organic matter. Okay, here's a picture of root knot nematodes. This is a, you know, with maybe electron microscope, I'm not sure on the left. Just shows you what they look like under the microscope. And on the right, this is the damage from root knot nematodes. Now, how do you tell the difference between root knot nematode damage and the nitrogen fixing bacteria nodules on the roots of your beans? The nodules will be on the side of the root, you know, a little, little ball on the side of the root, whereas the root knot nematodes damage is in line with the root. You know, it's like an arthritic swelling <laughs> on, on the actual root, as you can, as you can see there, okay? Okay, here's the Colorado potato beetle. On the left is the adult, and on the right you can see that's the one that really, those little greasy, grubby things, they can just, just uh, defoliate your potatoes. And um, so, Make sure you have uh, some trash on the surface, um, but you can use Spinazad for this. Uh, potato beetle beater, I think now they've changed the formula from a BT to Spinazad in that. So potato beetle beater, or there's, I think Johnny's has one that's called Monterey or something that has Spinazad in it. Yes. We've been soaking our potatoes in a solution of hydrogen peroxide. Okay. And our okay. Uh, you soak the pieces or the whole potato? The potato. Okay. And then we sprayed the foliar twice, um, just as it comes out, and then it's about this high. Okay, that's great. Um, she was saying that they soak their potatoes, the whole potato, uh, in um, hydrogen peroxide solution. How much and how much water? Um, that gives you the whole table how to dilute it. You use free prey, the 35% that you dilute down. Okay. Anyway, they uh, soak the potatoes in a hydrogen peroxide solution before they plant them, and then they spray the potatoes after they come up with hydrogen peroxide solution when they're maybe eight inches high and then full, full height, and they haven't had the problem with Colorado potato beetle. So that's great. I, I like those things. Whenever I hear something like that, I, um, I actually have a, a good level of skepticism, okay? And so I have to take that back and, and plant in my garden, you see what I'm saying? And see whether it is, um, uh, you know, just working for them, but doesn't work for me, or, or whatever. And of course, I'm, I'm not gonna try to do, uh, you know, I don't have the ability to do replicated plots, but I would just, you know, observe very carefully. 
But that's why I just love walking through people's gardens with them because I always learn some seminars like this. And so now I'm going to try that next year. See, we really don't have a big problem in our garden. We have a few potatoes every year, but uh, potato beetles, but not enough that we ever, you know, it, it really is something we have to spray. So. But I'm always looking for those things so I can pass them on to, to other people. Do you know what the website is? Okay, just Google, Google gardening, uh, gardening hydrogen peroxide. Okay, here's squash bugs. They're one of the hardest ones. Uh, you can use floating row covers, and that will um, help to uh, uh, delay their their presence. And uh, beneficial insects, encouraging the beneficial insects. Uh, slugs. Uh, there's a product called uh, Sluggo or Scargo is another one. It's an iron phosphate uh, pellets that you can sprinkle uh, on the soil and uh, control the control the slugs. I've heard that beer works well. Uh, yeah, I don't have time to put the. And of course, I don't want to be caught dead buying beer. Uh, but I have tried that. I've tried non-alcoholic beer, and I've made my own beer out of just letting things, you know, kind of rot and so forth. But I don't have time to do that, that kind of thing. But it, it will work. They come and they drown in the beer. Okay, thrips are, um, you can use these little yellow traps and also floating row covers. Um, then here's the tomato hornworm, which can really defoliate your tomato. This might be actually a tobacco hornworm. It's a different number of stripes on it, but who cares? They both eat your tomatoes the same way. But this is a beneficial insect, a braconid wasp. It comes and uh, lays like these are little pupa, and they just suck the life out of the tomato hornworm, and he just hangs there and just dies, okay? And our neighbor, when I was a little kid, four or five years old, they used to pay us, I think, a penny a piece for each tomato hornworm we picked off. But they told us, when you see one with those white packets on it, you leave those because they're already goners and they'll produce, of course, more wasps will hatch out. So just another beneficial, if you're encouraging the beneficials, uh, <coughs> But I would say that uh, sometimes you can't wait for the beneficials. And so if you find a tomato hornworm, you can just put him under your heel and uh, smash him. But you can spray BT on, and that is very effective in controlling uh, tomato hornworms. What about Japanese beetles? They usually have a big problem around our area. Uh, yeah, I don't have a really good... Uh, um, answer for Japanese beetles. Um, there is a product uh, called Milky Spore that you can spread on. They, they, um, part of their life cycle is in the sod. So if you have a lot of lawn and sod and hay fields around, um, you know, they, they are grubs in there and then they hatch out. And you spread this Milky Spore disease on the sod and grass areas and that will infect those grubs uh, with the milky spore. 
and some people have told me is very effective for them, and others have said, well, we just have so much, you know, sod around that we can't afford to treat it all, and they fly in from other areas. So that's, uh, that's something to, to try. Yeah. Then there's traps, but many times people say that the traps actually attract more in. Okay, any other questions? We have just a few more minutes. We have trouble with getting any kale before it's eaten by something else. I see. And kale and collards, it yeah. just strips them down to the ribs, you know? Yeah, that's probably, uh, it's probably some type of cabbage worm. And so if you spray them with uh, Dipel, uh, Bacillus thuringiensis, um, Dipel is just the uh, trade name. There's other, other forms of BT out there. Do you mind just repeating it? Oh, the question was, uh, they're kale and uh, collards and brassicas are just, the leaves are just eaten up to where it's just the ribs of the leaves, okay? And so I was saying that it's probably cabbage worms, cabbage loopers, and you can control that very predictably with uh, BT product. Yes. Um, we have about five chickens who love to do garden control, but okay. they take tax. Okay. So you're saying that uh, uh, chickens uh, can go through your garden, patrol your garden, and uh, and um, get the bugs. Of course, they, they, you have to feed the chickens, but... No, they do that. Yeah. Okay, but the bugs are part of their feed. What's the advantage of spraying on, like, a botanical insecticide versus a powder? Uh, yeah. Uh, probably you're more efficient with... Uh, the question was, what's the uh, benefit of spraying, uh, say, a botanical insecticide versus using a powder? And uh, I'd say it's more efficient to spray and also, you, the problem with using botanical insecticide, half of the problem is that you're very easily getting, uh, you're ingesting it by breathing it in or getting it all over you. And when you dust, it tends to be less predictable. The wind blows and so forth. So um, that's why I would prefer to, uh, to spray, maybe. Oh, yes. We had an attack of pill, we had pill bugs attack several of our plants. What can you do to those? Uh, pill bugs, those little things that roll up into a yeah. ball. Okay. So he's asking what to do for uh, pill bugs. And um, I really don't have a real good answer to that yet. Okay. So Blacker was saying that she heard over in Whitmer's class that. Um, if you have a high uh, phosphorus in your soil, that will encourage the uh, pill bugs. So be careful not to get your soil too high in phosphorus uh, because it's hard to, it's a lot easier to add something than it is to sub subtract it. Dropping phosphorus. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Just uh, don't add any more. And um, that's probably the best. Started gardening. We haven't really add, done much of that in of adding or taking. It's just what was there already. Yeah. For the most part. So. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe uh, till real deep to uh, bring up some soil, <laughs> but I don't know if I'd recommend that. Uh, so okay. Adding a good amount of organic matter. Yeah. Yeah, that could be uh, adding a good amount of organic matter. That might uh, organic matter. One of the wonderful things about organic matter 
is it will buffer whatever is a problem. If the pH is not what it should be, if you have lots of organic matter, it won't cause you as much of a problem, and so on and so forth, many other areas that will buffer the problems. Okay, good. Uh, why don't we just wind up here with a prayer? Lord, we uh, know that your part in the garden is immeasurably uh, big, and our part is immeasurably small. And as we depend on you to do your part, we pray that you'll help us to intelligently uh, do our part. And we thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.